YouTube theologians, Pastor Wolfmuller here and Pastor Andrew Packer of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Collinsville near Guadalajara, Mexico. Uh, I'm at St. Paul in Austin. Collinsville is actually in Illinois, but, you know, you never know. Uh, I was thinking about Guadalajara because we just got, I just finished recording Worldwide Bible Class, and so we were working on a mission plant in Guadalajara. If anybody's around Guadalajara, send me a note. I got to connect you. Um, but so, Pastor Packer, what, how's, how are things? What, what do we got for Q&A today? Um, the first one is actually, uh, someone sent you this video, and then I foolishly watched it without asking you questions first. No. <laughs> and then you said you didn't watch it. Um, so in, the, in this video, uh, this, this guy says, so he has this lemon tree in his yard. And the lemons are pretty massive. They're big lemons. And he said it became that way because he read in Leviticus um, and Exodus, the best of first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Wait three years. In the fourth year, it's all holy. Bring in the first fruits, etc. So these kind of verses, he said, oh, I'm not doing this. And so he took a lemon off the tree. This is before they had gotten big. Took a lemon off the tree, dropped it in the offering bag as it went around. And he thought, this is totally weird. I'm really weird for doing this. But then his tree started having, uh, you know, large lemons. And so he's convinced that it's because he gave of the first fruits. Now, um, I mean, the whole thing is kind of strange, but um, I, I guess I should add, because there's a part of this I really respect, which is like he read something in the Bible and he really wanted to take it seriously, which I completely respect. There, there's a simplicity to that that's uh, commendable. On the other hand, I doubt he followed the other Levitical laws. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think he probably, he probably ignored, for some reason he stuck on this one, this one stuck out to him followed that one um so they the person said and they want you to explain this first of all I, th I think part of the question is um is this is the lord actually blessing this does the lord actually bless his his giving of this lemon and now his lemon tree is doing better and is this something christians should be doing putting like literal first fruits into the offering plate i mean i'm Go. glad the guys i'm glad the Guys, lemons are doing well, and that should be a blessing from the Lord, right? I mean, yes, yeah. that's a blessing from the Lord. If the lemons don't do well, we also receive that as a blessing from the Lord. We receive everything from the Lord's hands. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, should we be should we be putting our the first lemon that comes from the tree into the church? You can. I, I don't think the the... the it's important for us to know that the, the the commandments given in the Old Testament are those kind of civil institutions. I mean, it was a tax. There was a temple tax, and it was a twenty. It was a tithe, it was a double tithe, a twenty percent tithe, and it would be great. I'd love it if our government had a, just a twenty percent flat tax and it was done with it. You know, it'd be great. Uh, but, but that that's what that was in the Old Testament. So those laws um, are given to those folks at that time we can learn from them which is that we that we should be generous and that the Lord, that there is a blessing in generosity and there's a twofold blessing i mean one is that that we are we're serving the neighbor by giving and the 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 second is it does seem like for those who are generous they 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 have less lack that the lord provides and and i don't know how the lord 
works all this. Sometimes I think he might work it miraculously. Sometimes it's just practical. In other words, if, you, if you're able to be generous in such a way that your stuff doesn't have its claws in you, then in a way you're set free from the, from the fear of not having enough. And so you're, the way that you engage with the material world and even your own wealth becomes a very different thing. So I think we can learn from the, from the principles. Now, the tricky thing is, you know, you have this, I want to be careful walking down this road, because what you have is you, you, you get into this idea that I'll, I'll do something that I don't want to do because God commands it, and then he will bless me so that I'll actually have the thing that I want. And so it's like I'm avoiding selfishness for selfish reasons. I'm, I'm sacrificing so that I don't end up sacrificing. It's I, my my generosity is motivated by greed. I'm trying to like game the system. In other words, it's like mm. I'm I'm going to give to God because I have this prosperity gospel promise that He gives back tenfold. You know, so 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 that even that selfish desire steals away the good motivation for the good work. Um, so it's like, well, I'm supposed to be generous with what I give, but I'm going to give my first fruits because then all the other fruit will be bigger and I'll actually have more. And I'm, I end up losing the capacity for generosity because even my generosity is consumed by my own selfishness. Now, I, I want to be careful going that down that because there's a danger in investigating our own motives for all of these things. Like, why do we do the good that we do? Is it motivated purely or is it motivated selfishly or whatever? But so you can never... You can never untangle that ball of yarn in the conscience. I mean, it's just, and once you start, the knots get too tight that you can't even find them. But so, so we should be careful thinking about that. But maybe here's this is the point, and it's a point that you made is that Christians should be generous and rejoice in the gifts of God. And if we if we give a fruit, if we give the first apple on the tree to the church, God be praised. And if good apples follow, God be praised. And if the apple tree dies, God be praised. This is this, we're, our whole lives are under the kindness and lordship of Christ. I was listening to um, some things on Deuteronomy recently, and it it looks like the a lot of the the food that was collected as part of the tithe was put into storehouses for for the Levites because they don't have a portion, in the, uh, you know, when, while they're working at the temple or various things like that. But also, then locally, they seem to keep it for cases of emergency, and then also like a food bank for the poor and for the widow and for those kind of things. So, you know, going back to that principle you were talking about, like uh, if maybe if you want to look at it and say, what should I do with this food? Like those seem like good ideas. Like if you want to give it to the Lord, give it to the hungry, you know, if you have lemons, you could donate to your homeless shelter or something. Those seem like very practical ways to kind of fulfill the spirit of the law. Um, Also, Paul says, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. So this idea that I'm going to do it because I have to, but I don't really want to, and I do it grudgingly, is the opposite of what Paul lays out for us in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where he says that Christ, who was rich for our sake, became poor. And then he says, like, we should reflect that in our giving, that we should give till it hurts a little bit, um, that we should feel it. But then he goes on to say, not to the point that now someone has to come help you, right? That's like, you know, we had that problem in church history where people get rid of everything and then someone else has to support them. And Paul says, don't do that. But in that whole context of sacrificial giving, he says, 
God loves a cheerful giver. And, and I think the confusion comes because even Luther talks about this in large catechism that God really does bless like our striving to, to keep the Ten Commandments. Like in general, your life will go better for you, right? If you're not stealing, um, life's going to be better than if you're stealing as far as like your trouble with the law, things like that. If you're striving to uh, not commit adultery and be faithful to your wife, your marriage is going to go a lot better than if you break it. I mean, there are very practical blessings bound up with the Ten Commandments. But I think then it gets dangerous to try to look at you know, Levitical law and say, if I do this random thing from the Levitical law, God has to bless me because I did this random thing and where, where you miss the whole spirit and intent of it to begin with. Um, like you said, it just becomes, I'm doing it because God has to, to do this for me. And you miss, you miss the point. <laughs> um, but, but again, I appreciate the, the kind of person that reads the Bible and says, what do I, what do I do with this? But at the same time, it's like, you didn't, you didn't ask that about, probably not mixing cloths. I watched the video. I'm pretty sure his clothes were not, you know, 100% pure cotton or whatever, you know, <laughs> mixed, mixed things, mixed threads. Had, um, I don't think he was keeping all the other things. I doubt he's going to do a Sabbath year for his land, you know, um, things like that. So uh, there's, a, there's a danger there in, in trying to fulfill things that have already been fulfilled in Christ and not, not looking at it through the lens of Christ suffering and dying and fulfilling all of it. That we have to be wary of. I think you reminded me of this too. I think so. As Christians, we we probably should think about because we we have all these warnings about money. It's great that we should be wary. You can't serve God and Mammon. And so one of the reasons why we give is it it's it's like uh, it's knocking down the idol of wealth in our own heart. But the Christians should, if you can, and if you're working and you're doing this, to try to make money so you can be generous, and especially in this way. If you can, so that you can employ people, uh, so you can employ Christians especially, because more and more it's going to be difficult for Christians who need jobs to find jobs where they can be Christian in their job. And so we're going to have to, when Jesus gives this money advice about how the world knows how to use their money better than we do, we're going to have to think about this so that if if you can be a Christian employer, a Christian boss, then God be praised. That's really, that's going to be really important in the, in the next couple of generations. Yeah. I've talked on a few different occasions to, um, when I was in Bogos and then I've, I've done it here too, that the church really should think of having some kind of like persecuted Christian fund, you know, like for that way, those who need to make bold confessions can do it knowing the church has their back. Because what's going to buckle people faster than anything is if I do this, I'm out of a job and no one's got my back. I have no support. Uh, whereas if they know, hey, the church can help me for a few months to get back on my feet. Um, I think that'd be a really beautiful and wonderful thing for for us, which is connected to that, right? Because then if we're encouraging that kind of thinking, then we have Christians thinking about employing other Christians. We have Christians using the gifts God has given them to to, to help help in a much broader way than sometimes we think about it. So I think that's good advice you gave there. Well, this one's, uh, did you think I, we we're going to spend that much time on God blessing the lemon trees? I did not, honestly, no. Yeah. This one's, this one's meant to be a fun one. He, he says, it seems like a silly question, but I've been wondering about the new heaven and new earth. And so his question related to that is, um, will there be baseball on the new earth? Well, look, there's not going to be cricket. 
<laughs> you just that just, eternal uh, miserable game. Baseball, maybe you know it's a, this is like hockey. No way, hockey will never make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> Lacrosse doesn't have a chance. Uh, so, uh, so this is a great question. Um, I, I think you know we so we're pulled in two different directions on our reflections of the new heaven and new earth, and the Lord gives us just enough to know that it will be full of glory. I mean, the picture of the new heaven and the new earth, of this garden city where there's joy and rejoicing and there's no more tears and sorrow, is so beautiful. It's a reflection of the original garden where the where Adam and Eve were given to each other to, uh, and given the office of having dominion over the earth. And so it seems like there will be also labor and life, and it will be as physical as we can. In some ways, it's helpful to think of baseball if we have this idea of a really sort of ethereal new heaven and new earth, and it brings us back to the to the physical reality of it. Sometimes we think of the new heaven and the new earth just as like a, a really, like the whole world is like Disneyland, just like a really cleaned up new creation. And then in that way, it's probably best to not think of baseball. In other words, we need to think more of, of the divine worship that's happening uh, always. But but will we, you know, will we move around in the new heaven and new earth? Will we sometimes be in the direct presence of Jesus and other times be on the other side of the earth and so forth and so on? Some of these details are not not told to us. What will we occupy ourselves? The thing that we're told is that there'll be um, comfort in the fellowship of the saints and a, and a, a heavenly conversation and worship. That's the main feature of the new heaven and the new earth. And we're not told many other details after that. We're told that we won't be married and given in marriage, and so that our our families will be structured in a different way, probably because there won't be children uh, to be being born in the new heaven and new earth. And uh, uh, and I, I probably past that, we're not given too many details. So I think that's a long way of saying I don't know, but I think sometimes it's good for us to think about heavenly baseball. And then other times it's probably not good. It kind of depends on which way, which imp, which way our imagination leans, and how much we need to be pulled back towards the towards the biblical picture. What are your thoughts? Well, I think Luther. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but he, he talks to kids as if, uh, like, right, the new heavens and earth is kind of like your example of Disneyland, but kind of like a carnival because it's something their their minds can kind of you know grasp. Because um, I think the fact is. We'll be doing all kinds of things, uh, I think, you know, besides just like, as you said, worshiping, which is a central part of it. But it seems like there'll be all kinds of life and activity, but um, it's probably greater than we can imagine. Like, you know, it's probably even. Um, so could there be baseball? Sure. Why not? There'll be all kinds of things. But I think it's hard for us just to wrap our minds around. And so if someone's like, will there be baseball? My answer probably would be, especially if it's like, you know, someone who's trying to figure these things out. Like, sure. Why not? Um because if that's something they look forward to, I think that was Luther's point. Like you give like these kids, something that they can grasp, they can look forward to because it's, it's far greater than that, but you, you got to start where they're at. So um, I don't have a problem seeing uh, baseball or some kind of sports and activities, leisure activities in the new earth, but I have a hard time understanding exactly what that'll look like because it's going to be greater than we can imagine. So that's my Luther, lame answer. Luther grabs a hold of these ideas that, and and this comes from probably the church fathers, but but the, the biblical text that we, he's leaping off of is the in the 
in the life to come will be like the angels. So there is this, uh, it's like a growth in our humanity to where, you remember Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was glowing with this radiance, and after the resurrection, he has this kind of these supernatural, seeming to us supernatural, walking through walls and things like this, that there's a, there's kind of a, 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 an expansion of our human nature to reflect the glory of God. Like Adam and Eve had before, they, when they realized they were naked and, and the church fathers had this idea that they would have been radiant with, with light, and then when they fell, that light went out. Mm. In the resurrection, that light comes on, and we start to partake more of the angelic life. Now, again, this is, we don't want to press too far because we don't want to go past the Scriptures, but there's a way that our own um, humanity is also glorified in the resurrection. And what that capacity looks like and what we're then able to do is um, is an amazing thing to think about. I, I, I was sitting—it was at, at LVR, at, at, uh, at Catechism Retreat this last summer, where you weren't, Pastor Packer. We, <laughs> we mostly sat around and wept because you weren't yeah. there. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. That meant that the, the, the IQ of the campfire was down at least <laughs> 20 notches because nobody else reads as much as you do. So— uh, but one of the pastors leaned over and he says, do you think, he, he, he was kind of a sh- slow to ask this question, he says, do you think that our dominion over the cosmos, that we, that we so, was so diminished in the fall, will involve discovery of other planets af- in the new heaven and new earth? <laughs> and I was like, well, I, don't, I don't have any idea. Of course we don't have any idea. But I, was, I thought that's an, it, it's an interesting thing to think about is that, that the Lord has given, that we have this huge cosmos and we've been, you know, we've made it to the moon, but who knows in the new heaven and new earth, if that's the, if that's part of it, this kind of dominion over all the things that the Lord's given. Now that's a lot of speculation, but it's a curious thing to think about. Like what, what is involved in the new heaven and new earth to, 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 to keep us busy. We're, we're not only rejoicing in the gifts of God, but we're exercising the dominion that the Lord is that has given us and in doing it in a godly, a godly and beautiful way. So boy, it'll be great to get there. Then we'll have all of these questions answered and you won't have to, <laughs> you won't have to ask us. Um, this one's a very practical one on um, their job situation. So he says, I got a job in the text in tech industry, but I'm worried about the recessions in this field. I feel that if I choose a sector that is volatile rather than stable, like in government, then God won't help me if I get affected by layoffs, as I'll be testing God to provide me protection. If I go in this industry, am I really testing God? Should one always avoid these types of jobs and prefer stable sectors? Please help me understand this issue. Boy, so I am not risk averse, so I have a hard time with this question. I, I but so, okay. A lot of people do not have choices on their jobs. You know, they're just doing the best that they can with what they can get. So God be praised that there's a choice here for this person who's asking, hey, as I'm kind of shaping a career, I have these choices. Should I pursue the, uh, a career in a place that's less stable traditionally or more? Part of the problem is we don't know. And things, you know, volatility shifts in various different ways. 
Uh, I've seen it with my brothers who are both in the oil business, and the volatility there is off the charts. So there's a very high risk, but very high reward, just depending on how things are going. I do not think it would be a sin to pursue uh, a job in a volatile um I mean, you know, you're depending on what the risks are in a volatile area, especially, I mean, depending on your own responsibilities. So as you're married, as you have children, as your responsibility, as the people who you are responsible for grow, then you are, you become less and less risk averse, more and more uh, kind of wanting to avoid volatility. But I, I think we're doing the best with the wisdom God has given us. And remember these kind of the five rules that shape our love. So... This is always this kind of handy framework. What are the commandments? What's my vocation? What's my neighbor's need? What am I good at or what do I like to do? And then what are my neighbor's sins? So those are the five things that shape and constrain our own love. So if you're not breaking the commandments, if it's a godly vocation, and if you are able to care for your family, and if you're good at something, then that's good. It's, and it's good to pursue a vocation in that area. And you can be free to, to do that. My quick thoughts, just off the top of my head. But. Uh, uh, it's related to that. My question would be, what's considered stable anymore? I mean, can you, can you really look at... I realize um, like there's a book called Durable Trades, and it has uh, a ton of different things that have kind of stood the test of time. But even within those kind of trades there's still up and down times. There's still times where you might be making a lot less money than you thought you were going to. I mean, life is volatile. I don't, I don't know if there's any way to completely avoid, you know, they mentioned governments, but you know, government jobs, but those can quickly come and go. Um, it does just, I know we joke about government programs lasting forever, but not always government employees. You could easily lose your job there too, for a variety of reasons. So I, I think it's one of those things where we, we're trying to figure out too much the future. Um, I mean, there's a case for wisdom, but like tech industry jobs, I don't, I feel like nowadays maybe aren't any more uh, risky than any other kind of position. In fact, maybe there's more stability because if you can keep up on the, the edge of technology, you're probably going to always have something um, and maybe be freer to work on your own or do some of the things we talked about earlier. So uh, I'm not sure if it's, it seems to me perhaps maybe they're just overthinking this because their one thing they said was, if I get laid off, God won't maybe provide for me. Um, like if they choose the wrong job, that God's going to be angry and not give them another job. Whereas, as you said, if, if they're not sinning, then um, what is there for God to be angry about? Yeah, this like, has, <laughs> you know, the way that we think about God's will is oftentimes like it's a tightrope in the dark. Mm. And like God has one job for me and one person for me to marry and one thing to study and one place to live and like God has my life lined up but it's a it's a thin little path in the in the woods and he doesn't tell me what it is I know it's there he doesn't tell me so then I'm like sticking out my barefoot in front of me trying to find where the rope is and if I step to the right or the left I'm gonna plummet into God's anger and that is wrong that's a wrong idea of God's will it's a wrong idea of our life and it's and it's really a cruel idea of God. If God wants you to, if God is going to hold you accountable for knowing something, He tells it to you. So and and He specifically tells you that you don't know the future. 
that you don't know tomorrow, and you're not to look into it. You're not to try to divine the future. The only thing you know of the future is that God is faithful and Jesus is coming. So, so as we try to, I don't know, try to, it, when we, if we think that God has one idea for us, and if we get it wrong, he's going to be mad at us, and, th- and then now we're trying to figure out the signs, you know. We're looking for little indications every which way, trying to read God's hidden secret will. We're in a very bad and vulnerable spiritual place. So the Lord has given us the constraints of the Ten Commandments, and then he's given us freedom for these things that are in our life. And so that, look, if there's a job and it might be in a, you know, a startup company and it's high risk, high reward, but you're like, well, I can, I think I can, I can do it and I'll do what, it's great. If you're talking to your, to your wife and your kids and they're like, I don't know if I can handle the stomach, the risk of this thing or whatever, then it's great. Then, you know, then don't, it's fine. It's just the the Lord, the, the Lord is with you. And, uh, and we don't, and we're not trying to sort out tomorrow we're not trying to magic discern tomorrow and become these kind of Christian magicians, the Christian fortune tellers. That that is uh, that kind of magic is forbidden by the second commandment. Right. The Bible says we should submit ourselves and say, "If the Lord wills, I'll do this or that." But it, you know, uh, the way I always picture it is the Ten Commandments are a giant fence, and there's a lot of room to play and to to run around in that yard. And as long as you're within that yard, have at it. You're free um, rather than trying to discern, you know, should I do this job A or B? If as you gave those five, those five factors and you're inside that large fence, you know, maybe you'll pick a job and maybe it will blow up, but maybe you learn all kinds of stuff that'll help you in the next job. Like it doesn't mean it's a complete failure just because it it didn't go the way you want it to go. All kinds of things don't go the way we want them to go. And, um, and God's, God's still, they're guiding us and blessing us and taking care of us. So as you said, you know, have at it. And then we die also, <laughs> you know, uh, like we're then, not promised tomorrow. That's, yeah. isn't that the, the clip that you pulled from our last thing? You should, that die. was you telling, yeah, I was gonna say that was you telling us we should die. But you should, uh, I mean, you're living and then you're, and then you, you know, let's talk about volatility. I mean, we're, we're vapor. We're, we're dust. And so, but because we're free to die, then, you know, the Christians should have a little a bit of an adventuresome spirit because, because the Lord is on our side. So anyway. Yeah, we put it all in his hands. It's like Luther says on uh, Psalm 127, right? Uh, my wife hates when I, when I quote this, but I'll quote it anyways, because <laughs> she, she knows it's prone to misinterpretation. But Luther says there, work as if there is no God. That is, as if it all depended on you. You put forth your best effort. And then at night, you put it all into God's hands and say, bless this. And however much or little he blesses it, you're content with that because you did your best and you put it in God's hands and you go on. And Luther says that's how you can sleep peacefully at night because you you did what you could do. It's out of your hands now. So you put it in God's hands. And so if you lived every day like that, whether it's, in your marriage or as a parent or in your other vocations and you just did your best, uh, try your best, repent of not doing your best, put all God's hands, put all in God's hands and ask him to bless it. Then you can not have to live with that kind of guilt. Or I think um, that kind of fear that you're getting everything wrong all the time, which is how a lot of Christians live. I, I think daily because they don't understand the freedom they have to make these decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And the danger of that, the danger of that idea that 
that God has just one next step for me is really it's profound and, and it but it's, it feels like I, I remember you know the to the evangelical mind to 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 the the evangelical always wants freedom when it comes to God and bondage when it comes to life and it's two opposite equal errors you cannot choose to follow Christ that is a work of the Holy Spirit. So we talk about the bondage of the will when it comes to the things. I cannot, by my own reason and strength, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or come to him. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. So we got to get the bondage of the will in the right place. It, my, my faith is not up to me. On the other hand, and that's hard for the evangelical because they're all about, that's all their theology is, that, is the choice. The, the, the faith is will. On the other hand, the idea that God doesn't have this particular plan for me and that I have to walk precisely in it to, in, to add freedom to our human lives feels to the evangelical like unbelief. It feels like abandoning the idea of God altogether. It feels like living like an atheist, like, the, like, like Luther said, live, uh, work as if God didn't exist. That, that's, that's what that feels like for the evangelical, as if, is if there's not one precise thing for God's, God's will for my life, if it's not a precise sort of thing that I'm trying to figure out, it feels like I'm, I don't even, I'm not even a Christian anymore. And so that's a tough thing for the, for the evangelical mind to get around. But this is a really important because if I think that God has one step for me to take, but he is not telling it to me, he's only giving little hints. Um, like, he's, he, he won't tell us what we need to know. He's just sort of writing it on the tea leaves. That is a... That is a very bad view of God. It's a de- it's a demonic view of God, and it opens us up to spiritual attack. So there's a there's an important there's important work to be done here with thinking about the will of God. I, I was given a book in high school that I think highlights extreme ends of this. It, it kind of said like from the moment you wake up, like what socks you're going to wear, what shirt you're going to wear, you should pray about it, and whatever the Holy Spirit prompts you to do, that's what you should do for a parking spot for when like for everything you do throughout the day. You don't make a decision basically unless you like feel this prompting of the Holy Spirit leading you one way or another. And after I finished the book, I mean, I was a high school kid. I'm like, how could you, how could you live this way? Like you, you, you'd be paralyzed constantly by fear of like, even like what clothes you picked out were the wrong clothes for the day. Um, and it, it's just, it's an extreme version of what you're talking about, but it's out there. There are Christians who, who try to live this way. Um, now asking God to bless everything we do, praying for, Holy Spirit to be with us as we do these things is one thing right. trying to discern little promptings about what I should wear or what I should, where I should park, you know, where I should buy milk today. Like, I mean, those, those are taking things to such an extreme that I, I don't even know how you could live like that. But, I'd be miserable. I mean, like think about trying to raise kids that way. Like you're not going to tell them what time lights are out are, but if they don't go to bed at the right time, you're going to punish them. Yeah, <laughs> and you leave little hints like maybe you put out like like uh you put nine chicken nuggets on the table and they're like oh nine nuggets that means nine o'clock is bedtime and you're like no it's nine oh nine you know and and now but you leave like little you don't tell the you don't tell them directly but you're leaving all these little it's like life becomes this weird like puzzle but it's me against god that's the point like 
So we just have to say, if God wants us to know something, he loves us enough to tell it to us. And if he hasn't told us, then we don't need to know it. So that you do not need to know from God what job you should pick. You do not need to know from God where you should live. You do not need to know from God what you should study in school. If, he, if you needed to know it, he would tell you. And to think that there are things that I need to know that God hasn't told me is to, is to misunderstand God, to misunderstand his word, to misunderstand life, so that if I don't know it, then I'm not supposed to know it. And, that's, and we have to be content with that. Now we know, then we're, just, we're, we're able to live in wisdom and to pray what James says, to all who lack wisdom, pray. And the Lord who provides all liberally will give it. And don't doubt about that. God will give you wisdom. I think the pushback people might, if they're hearing this, might say is like, well, uh, are we denying that God's providence, that he's in control of all these things, guiding and directing our lives? And we would say, no, but at the same time, just because if the Lord opens a door for us, that doesn't always necessarily mean you have to walk through it. It means he's giving you, he's giving you an opportunity, but it's it's not a, a force like you must do this. Like before I, I came here, uh, we felt like a lot of things were opened up to to make this possible to take this call. But we never felt like God was forcing us as if like, like if, if we didn't do it, we were, we were going to be sinning or something, but just like it was laid out for us, like these obstacles are removed. If you want to do this, here's an open door, but it doesn't mean you have to like take every open door because there's lots of open doors. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like, you know, there's lots of job openings out there. Do you apply for every single one? And, you know, and then you get picked for three and then you have to cast lots to see which, which one God wants you to do. I mean, it, it's not denying providence. It's just saying that's that's not the way these things work. Um, right. The Lord giving you freedom means you actually have freedom. And, and if you feel like doors or opportunities are, are there, the Lord's presented them, fantastic. That means he's giving you opportunities. But then you have to use wisdom to decide which opportunities you're going to take and which you're not going to take. You, it's still up to you to, to make a wise decision in that case, yeah. which is why I think, as you going back to what you said earlier, that's what they don't want to have to do is, is use the word of God to make a wise, faithful decision. Um, and I think part of that is it, I think people feel like it removes responsibility from them. Right. Um, cause I've heard this language before. Well, uh, that's what God wanted me to do, but it didn't work out. So then the blame's not on them for it not working out. It's, you know, <laughs> it's, it's on God. <laughs> he messed that up. Uh, my marriage, <laughs> my marriage didn't work out. It happens too. It's like, yeah, because no one can question it. Like, Hey, God wants me to study wildlife biology. Well, you, you've never been outside before in your life, and you, <laughs> yeah. and you get sunburned if the if the sun hits you for two seconds, and maybe that's what well, God wants it. So now it can't be criticized, you know. That yeah, there's yeah. a lot. There's so many problems with that way of thinking, but it's so ingrained in. So it's good to try to be pulling out that that theological error, that splinter in the mind. Well, these these ones took longer than um <laughs> than I expected. So maybe we'll save the. I mentioned that serious one, uh, more of a heavy one, but maybe we'll do that next time. Okay. Um, but maybe uh, maybe in a minute or so, uh, you mentioned books and reading. Do you have anything you'd recommend to everyone out there that they should pick up and read right now? Anything you're, you're reading or looking at that you're like, hey, everyone, you should check this out. Besides the baptism the, anthology. Yeah, yeah that's what I, see the baptism <laughs> yeah, anthology there. there. Yeah. That's such a great thing, Pastor Packer. Are we we should do next Lord's Supper anthology, by the way. So you heard it here, folks. That's the next project. So um we put together all these passages on baptism. We meaning Pastor Packer. And I said, Oh yeah, that's a good one. 
<laughs> it's great. And you can download that guy for free, wolfmuller.co slash baptism, and you can get it there. You could get it on Lulu for eight bucks or something like that. And um, so that's really great. I've been reading this book on um, on worldviews by John Stone Street and a couple other guys, and that's been a really interesting thing because they, they break it. You know, all these different worldview books have di- like different classifications of worldviews, mm-hmm. and they break it down into three. So uh, materialistic, personal God, uh, and um, uh, pantheistic, uh, like a spiritualist kind of stuff, and it's and it's walking through it. I think it's been really helpful. Uh, it's been a really fun book, in fact, because it has all these quotes from you know these pagan Richard Dawkins and everything else, where they say, "Look, there's no purpose in life, no meaning in life, no nothing," and and it's an amazing thing to see how um, how great our own uh, understanding of the world is compared to to this despairing this invitation to despair that the world wants us to engage in. So that's been good. What about you? Well, that, that sounds a lot like a kind of how C.S. Lewis breaks it down in mere Christianity, uh, similar, like fewer options for worldviews than, um, typical, um, making sense of your world. There you go. Um, speaking of, of C.S. Lewis, um, I recently read through his, uh, space trilogy, uh, probably better called his ransom trilogy, but if you go to buy it, it's called a space trilogy. Uh, it's an amazing piece of fiction for adults that uh, I think, especially the last one, um, wonderfully shows the kind of world we're living in um, and how God defeats it really through Christians being faithful in their vocations. <laughs> nothing, nothing fancy, no big battle. Christians just being faithful in their vocations. Um, but I recommend reading it with a book called Deeper Heaven by Christiana, Christiana Hale. Um, it's a reader's guide, which is fantastic. And uh, since I'm mentioning C.S. Lewis, if you're in, uh, if you're in kind of public speaking or writing, uh, this book, C.S. Lewis and the Craft of Communication, uh, is really brilliant. It's about how to be a better communicator like C.S. Lewis. So um, I'm most of the way through that. I think every pastor should probably read it because it's we're always looking for things to, to help us better communicate the gospel. And I think this book's a, a beautiful introduction to the topic of communication, and especially C.S. Lewis is still read worldwide, um, you know, and we're looking at almost... Uh, since 80 years since mere Christianity and 60 years since his death. And he's still being read. Why is that? This book argues because he's a great communicator. And so, you know, we could all learn from that. All Christians, but especially pastors, I think, or those who are in public speaking fields of any kind. Fantastic. Oh, thank you. That's really good. We should do that as a regular feature. You got to warn me though. So then I can go and read a book because. (laughs) Well, you mentioned books. I thought I'd throw it in there. Just watching memes on, on YouTube. Speaking of a career with little volatility, that's, you know, everyone should be a YouTube, an influencer. That's the. Uh, the, the amount of money some of these influencers make, I look at it and I say, where did I go wrong in life? <laughs> How right. is it that they're making that much money? That's right. For doing what? For, what? for making a five minute video. Good for that. Oh, man. That's right. Well, hey, thanks for this, Pastor Packer. Thanks for everyone for jumping in. You can send your questions. You can comment below. Pastor Packer actually looks at the comments. It's amazing. You could send it to wolfmuller.co slash connect contact. Wolfmuller.co slash contact is where that is. You also subscribe to Wednesday Whatnot. I think I got one today, Wednesday, to send out in just a few minutes with a John Lennox video and a couple of other things. It's pretty cool. Luther quote from the woman at Cana. Uh, so that's at wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday. Uh, visit Pastor Packer when you're down in Guadalajara. Thanks again for being part of the fun. God's peace be with you. <laughs>